0: So maybe this was a softball question to get us warmed up here. We have some others that I want to merge into. Do you see what I did there? I see what you did there. Um, So that way we can provide some hopefully valuable insights (laughs) at some point. Welcome back to Reason Together, the podcast for Christians who think about stuff This is a little bit of a different episode. I'm not here with Daniel, my usual co-host and co-founder of this podcast. I'm here with someone else, uh, someone you know from past episode, uh, way back when we had the Take the Coffee podcast guys on here. I have none other than my good friend Ethan Ryan uh, with me today. Pastor Fox had some last-minute prior engagements, so we're going to sit here across my kitchen table Uh, and have a conversation (laughs) for this podcast the audio might sound a little different I hope that's okay with you dear listener Uh, we're in a little bit more of an open echoey room so hopefully my editors can do some magic there thanks guys Uh, appreciate that but welcome again to another episode and welcome to Ethan Ryan
1: thank you sir thank you for having me
0: thank you for coming Uh, we get to be in person uh, this time, uh, I used to live a little bit farther from you, uh, but now I think little. we're uh, what three hours? Two and a half. Two and a half. Okay, two and a half hours from each other. So we get to meet in person a little more frequently. Uh, I sent a, uh, a list of questions earlier today uh, that listeners have sent in to us, and I figured I would give you the privilege of kind of curating this episode and picking what you want to talk about.
1: Uh, with those. So I have some very quick answers for most of them Oh, you do? Okay I do so, I, like, I could probably blow through all these in like 15 minutes
0: Okay, well in classic Reason Together style I may <laughs> slow them down uh, to a crawl uh, And talk incessantly long about them So where would you like to go first?
1: Um, do I know the person? Oh, wait,
0: hold on I don't mean to interrupt you But I forgot a very important detail uh, you, in fact, are one of our patrons, aren't you?
1: I am. I just finally signed up.
0: Yes. You've been a listener, though, since the beginning.
1: Episode number right? one.
0: Episode number one. Long-time listener, current patron, friend of the podcast. But you're not alone. There are other folks that support this podcast as well, to which I would like to take a moment to extend our thanks Uh, to the patrons that support us over at patreon.com slash reason together. You guys help pay our editors and uh, pay for our internet stuff uh, that we do. We are very appreciative to all of you for that. Uh, If you are listening and you're not a patron and you'd like to become one like Ethan or any of our other said patrons, you can do that at patreon.com slash reason together. And uh, you uh, you can become one of the elite And uh, sign up at that level and get yourself a t-shirt and access to the bonus content that comes at the end of every episode that nobody else gets to listen to, but you elite patrons. So you can pick that level there if you like. Anyway, enough of that. Let's get back to your
1: question. (laughs) Um, the, The first one you sent me was about aggressive driving. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes, that one is from one of our listeners, my brother-in-law,
1: actually. Which brother-in-law? Ah, that's Omar. Okay, I don't know Omar. Okay, I thought you knew Omar. Well, I know of Omar. Okay, I know Nathan and Matthew.
0: Okay, I was yep. really hoping it was
1: somebody I knew personally because I was about to—I was about to rip their face off.
0: <laughs> okay, Ooh. there'll be no ripping of faces on uh, Reason uh, Together Podcast. I'll,
1: I'll put the put the gloves back on for okay.
0: Omar. The title though of this question is funny. It's driving like Jehu which uh listeners in the know would be familiar with the old testament uh
1: character jehu Uh, (laughs) what did it say he drove furiously yeah in the chariot people could tell from a long way off it was him who was driving
0: yes because he was driving furiously that's actually been a running joke in uh, our family Uh, that my wife's side of the family, namely uh, Omar, I think, maybe my father-in-law have brought up is is when folks Mm -hmm. drive like Jehu. So uh, I'll read the question and then you can go ahead and uh, jump on this one first. So the question is aggressively driving like a Christian. Here in the Midwest, we are deep into road construction season which leads me to ask what a Christian is to do. There are numerous signs showing that the right lane is closed ahead everyone everyone has I already didn't know what you're thinking <laughs> <laughs> everyone has merged to the left lane and the line is long then suddenly there is that one car who flies ahead in the right lane until the very last second before darting into the left lane cutting in line in front of 25 patient drivers I think we can all agree the line cutting driver is not a Christian but moving on from him my question is I think he was being a little snarky there uh, my question is What should the patient Christian driver at the head of the traffic in the left lane do? Should he let them merge or box them out? Perhaps the loving thing to do would be to lovingly slow down and let the pagan merge in. (laughs) Or should he show his love to those in line behind him by blocking him out? Also, does the Bible teach us to fight for justice? What better way to fight for justice than to keep one foot on the gas and one on the brake? alternating between darting ahead and stopping suddenly in strategic maneuvers to prevent the infidel from committing his sin of cutting in the line. Do you let them merge or box them out? I have a prediction of what you're going to say, but
1: go ahead and say it, and I'll let you know if I'm right. I feel like the way Omar phrased this question is that he could take what I'm about to say. And that is, you're responsible for your own ignorance. If you are in the left lane in a line and the right lane is still open, that's your fault. Oh, but he said it's closed. It's closed, but not yet. So I, I have legal proof of this. So I live in a city full of engineers. We have traffic engineers, and Alabama Department of Transportation just released a graphic begging people to use both lanes all the way up until the point of closure and then zipper merge. You cause massive problems for the people behind you by moving over too early. Really? And backing up the left lane. Yeah, proven fact. Okay. And my dad also works uh, in the county up in Delaware.
0: So they have actual traffic engineers that have figured out. This
1: is a science. This is a science problem. So by you getting into that left lane that is still open too early, you're actually a part of the problem. Therefore, the infidel on in the right lane, regardless of his status of salvation, is the most intelligent person. <laughs> he is doing what he is supposed to be doing.
0: Now, Oh, so you flipped the script here. Yeah,
1: so he's, he's doing what's right. So you're suffering the consequences of <laughs> making poor decisions. Now, I will say, if you come over without a signal... I will block you 100%. <laughs> if you have a turn signal on, though, I will let anybody in. If your turn signal's on, I'll let you in.
0: But you got to do the wave, too, though. You know the wave? When yeah. you're, you're the guy merging in, you got to roll down the window, stick your hand out, and just kind of wave
1: as you go in. That yeah, would be like the good southern thing. Does that to get do? you like bonus points? Maybe. Yeah. It depends. I think a good southern thing, yeah. And I'm like kind of mellowed. When I go back up north, though, it does change. I've become. <laughs> More angry. (laughs) Then it'll be more on them to like fit the car in or force their way over.
0: I see. So you've, you've totally kind of uh, made me rethink this. So, so the loving thing to do is really Omar's question. The loving thing to do is to wait until the last possible minute to merge.
1: Yeah. The loving thing to do is to fill up both those lanes and then alternate cars merging over. Okay.
0: So, so what if, what if. What if you've done that, you've waited until the last second to merge, and then comes this guy zipping up from, like, in the shoulder or from behind everybody. He just zips around, and he wants to get in now. Is he still doing the right thing, or does moving into the shoulder now make okay, him yeah, the see, infidelity? Okay, yeah, see,
1: moving to the shoulder is illegal. <laughs> then you've crossed the line, and then I hope a semi-truck puts you into that barrier.
0: <laughs> this, is, this is getting violent. <laughs>
1: Let me uh, also say something that uh, Thomas and Daniel's uh, views are not mine <laughs> and mine are not theirs and they have not approved everything that's about to come out of my mouth.
0: <laughs> okay, thank you for the disclaimer. Uh, I don't, now I don't have to make it. <laughs> I would probably, though, lean closer to what you're saying um, just because I think we're a little more similar to each other. Uh, In that regard, you know, as far as, like, aggressive driving, I'm a little more of an aggressive driver um, than some. But, uh, yeah, no, I think that's an interesting thought. I hadn't even considered that there's a science behind merging.
1: In in, in a perfect world, you leave space, you know, between cars, which we don't do. We want to pull up on their bumper. Hmm. And in a perfect world, you know, two lanes coming together shouldn't technically have to slow down with a zipper merge. Obviously, we don't live in said perfect world, and you get the slinky effect. Okay, and you get Omar sitting in the left lane for 35 minutes while people are (laughs) sitting by him.
0: So, okay, all right. So maybe this was a softball question to get us warmed up. Here, we have some others that I want to merge into. Do you see what I did there? I see what you did there. Um, so that one, we can provide some hopefully valuable insights at some point um so this one is from a listener this is from jacob and he's provided us with a good bit of things here uh and which by the way good on jacob he's he's like made a list of questions here Yeah. um that helps us out a lot uh he says here and i have some thoughts on this one um I heard a preacher say that when his kids were babies, he would pray over them to this effect. Lord, I pray that you protect my children, but if they are not going to turn out right and live wickedly, I pray that you take them now. Jacob says, now I have my thoughts on this, but I would like to hear yours as well. The man did say that one of his kids did die as an infant about a month or so after he prayed that prayer.
1: That was a toughie. That was I, tough. I,
0: I don't... Okay, so here are my thoughts on this. And, and to me, it didn't seem that tough. This seemed like a no-brainer to me.
1: Okay, I'm, when I say tough, I mean that one of his kids died.
0: That Oh, they, yeah, that's <laughs> definitely tough. Yeah, I wouldn't deny that. But as far as praying this kind of mm-hmm. prayer, which is, I think, the thrust of Jacob's question, if you could pray for anything for your kids and believe that God can do anything, why not just pray that if my kid does turn out wickedly that they repent and are restored? Mm-hmm. Would that not be just as much of a, 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 for lack of a better word, miraculous event that God does in someone's life, my child's life? Why, why, why go right to praying that he dies? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why do that when you could instead pray, Lord, if my child lives wickedly? Can you please see to it that he repents and is restored? And if not, Lord, give me the grace to bear some shame as a parent Mm -hmm. if my child does that. Because, you know, none of us like the idea of living in shame at the choices of our children. Mm -hmm. But... The Bible does speak in Proverbs about a child who is the shame of his mother, mm-hmm. right? A wise son, of course, is the joy or the gladness of his father. But I don't want to experience that kind of shame. And and to me, this prayer comes across as kind of selfish. It's almost like, you know, Lord, I don't want to bear the shame of having a kid who's wayward. So if they do this, just take them out, mm. That seems like a foolhardy and selfish prayer to pray. When you could just as easily pray, Lord, restore my child if he goes wayward. Why jump right to death? Yeah. Why do that? So it seems unnecessary to me.
1: Yeah, I would agree. That was my, my first initial thought. And um, I've been going through 1 Corinthians with my teenagers. Mm. Um, I preach morning service, then we have Sunday school. And I'm doing the youth group currently and talking about judging each other. When is it okay to judge and when is it not okay to judge? And it's been it's been a lot of fun and I've really learned a lot through this as well. And when it comes to judgment, I think one of the reasons judging and Christians get so mixed up is is how we judge. And I used the illustration, I was like, Christians are to be, you know, police officers. I know some some people probably just like bristled at that statement. But the job of a good police officer is to exercise discernment. Uh-huh. And enforce a law that has already been established by the lawgiver. Uh, so somebody commits a murder. They say, hey, you have committed something wrong. We have proved that fact. You know, We're arresting you for murder. But he doesn't get to pass the judgment that is the reward for that punishment. You go to a court for that, and there is a judge that then passes that judgment. You know, here in America, we have a judge and a jury. Before God, we have an ultimate perfect judge. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to judging other people, you know, the Scripture says to rebuke sin. So as a Christian, we're there and we are to exercise our discernment. This is right. This is wrong. Mm-hmm. But we never get to decide what that punishment is unless the Bible yeah. explicitly says it.
0: Well, then I, I don't think then it would be fair to say that we as Christians have the right of enforcement, in every case well that's where
1: um, the in a police yeah, they're not but, supposed to enforce it's more just like discernment of what's yeah wrong.
0: I would describe it more like shepherding right mm. so like even if we do have to issue rebuke to somebody even if you're not a pastor and you have to maybe straighten somebody out or correct something or address some sort of sin handling it more like a shepherd I think is more the direction I would go with it um Though I'm sure at some point, I'm trying to figure out how we got here from the question. <laughs> well,
1: I'm working but, back. Oh, so um, you're
0: circling around. Okay. Yeah, I'm circling, circling. I back. figured I had to pause just to make sure that, that we're on the same page. That I'm not sure that we have always the right of enforcement as Christians. But yeah. I think shepherding, though, is more, or sharpening, even. Yeah. And, and um, I agree.
1: It's yeah. more the exercising of discernment between what's right and what's wrong. And, you know, sometimes a police officer would pull you over speeding and be like, you know what? Hey, you were, you were yeah. in the wrong, letting you off with a warning. Here's your admonition. Right. But the passing of a punishment does not belong to us. And you see that all through scripture.
0: Okay, I think I see your connection now.
1: And for me, this guy has taken the place of God in that he has seen that there's wrong. And yeah. he is asking for a very specific well punishment.
0: according to this question from Jacob, the guy hasn't even seen the wrong yet. Yeah. He's saying, Lord, <laughs> if, potential. if my kid ever sins against you and turns out wickedly, I'm essentially praying a preemptive, imprecatory yes. prayer down on the head of my child when I could just as easily pray that he be and restored. And
1: unfortunately, I can guarantee you his children are gonna turn out wickedly. Because you can guarantee it. They're human. Oh sure. They're, they're yeah. gonna be sinners. Yeah. They're gonna be born in sin, as David says. So it's like, how bad is his wicked activity? Be <laughs> right. Like, what is his standard of like, alright, God, now is what I meant.
0: It, it almost seems like it delves into sort of like Jephthah's vow territory, where yeah. it seems like an impetuous thing to pray that wasn't thought through first.
1: You know and what I mean? I have heard this statement before by somebody who I love dearly. Uh, an older pastor had made this statement. all of his kids are alive, by the way, but what made it so hard for me is this man had one of his kids die a month after he prayed this prayer
0: yeah I, I, so I talked with this about i talked I talked with this I talked about this with my family the other night and asked them what they thought on it and one of the things that I ended up coming around to was. And, and maybe this is me being a little aggressive and snarky, is that, you know, I wonder if maybe the Lord knows in his sovereignty that this man's kid w- was going to turn out just fine, but the Lord was sparing that kid from a father this impetuous and and cruel. Yeah. Um, maybe. I don't know. I'm just presupposing. Yeah. Uh, but it seems almost like something like this is unnecessarily sensational to say. hmm and my mind went first to like evangelist sayings, yep. right? Which I, I realize there are good evangelists yep. out there. I'm not saying, I'm not making a blanket generalization of all the evangelists. However, there's a reason why there are certain cliches that we know, like an evangelist story. Yeah. There's a reason that term exists. Because there's sensationalist things. There, there's a reason why some evangelists get repeatedly invited back to the same exciting conferences, you know, every year, is because they have that exciting personality yeah. where they can't just say something like a normal person would say it. They have to say it in the most superlative, the most exceptional and sensational way possible, because they're just right on that knife edge of wild and crazy. Mm to where it keeps people entertained. This sounds like the kind of thing you would hear a guy say from a pulpit who's just naturally sort of a sensationalistic mm-hmm. kind of guy.
1: Exactly. And probably, in my head, I had that exact same image of like a tent meeting type thing. <laughs> right. A lot of people saying amen. Like, you sent me this while literally while I was driving and I was looking at that. I was like, that is absolutely terrible to, to say something like that. Yeah, And then... You know, in my mind, I've been reading a lot about psychology recently and like effects of things that uh-huh. we do on, on the human brain. And I was like, what do you do? Here's my question for you. And we can't answer this because we're, you know, we're distant from this. As a man who prays this prayer and one of his kids dies, is that helpful? Is that a coping mechanism for you? You'd be like, well, he was growing up to be wicked. Therefore, God took him. Yeah. Like, in my mind, my first thought was like he was so afraid of losing a child. Mm-hmm. He had made up an excuse ahead of time. Mm. And that was just like something that came yeah. into my mind. Let's get it. it's not I, something yeah, I can say.
0: It can't prove it. I suppose it's possible. Um but we can't prove it. Um,
1: I think it's a foolish prayer. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's in conflict with our theology that if Mm -hmm. we believe God can do anything, if we believe we have a big God, which is a popular type of preaching amongst Mm -hmm. evangelists, right? (laughs) That we have a big God who can do anything. Then why pray that God kill your kid if your kid goes wayward? Pray God restore him if he goes wayward. That's just as easy to pray.
1: And it's like, what do we pray for ourselves? Like God, you know, show me mercy. God, forgive me.
0: Yeah, would this man pray the same thing for himself? For,
1: yeah, would God kill me if I'm about to do something that's going to go against your will? I don't know.
0: Maybe he would pray maybe. that. I don't know. Anyway, there's a, let's see, Jacob has a couple others here, but I might want to save them. Do you want to hit number three? Your, your call.
1: Um, Let's hit number three, I think, for possibly some clarification so that maybe you and Daniel can hit it. Mm. more in depth because i'm not sure what he means by that okay
0: what are your thoughts on the phrase you need to meet god halfway (laughs) Uh, i'm not sure i I think i need more jacob if you're listening yeah uh, send us an email and give us some examples of what context that is used in. Is that used in like a soteriological sense like when people say about salvation you meet god halfway um or are they saying it more in like a, uh, you know, a prayer for help kind of thing? I don't, I don't understand. So, so maybe some examples, if you can give us those. Um, oh, this one's a good one. Jacob says, why do we sometimes think that something bad is going to happen when we are given a large financial gift? Solomon.
1: <laughs> <laughs> one word answers. Because we've all read Ecclesiastes. No, it's um, whether we like it or not. Especially with, we have a very broad world philosophy of what goes around, comes around, the idea of karma. Um, even Solomon speaks to that, you know.
0: Well, I think even the secular world understands to some degree what wealth can do to a person. Hence mm-hmm. the common phrase among the world. You know what it is? <laughs> mo' money, yeah, mo, mo, mo money, mo' problems. <laughs> I can't believe I just said that on this podcast. <laughs> but
1: Someone had to say it. <laughs>
0: But the world knows this. And I think, but see, the thing is, does it always mean that every Christian who maybe earns a lot of money and becomes wealthy is going to have problems? No, it doesn't. And I think maybe when, I think we can get almost superstitious about it at times where we see a windfall happen and we immediately think, oh, something bad is going to happen. Um, There might be a reason why the Lord doesn't want you wealthy. Yeah depending on who you are Mm -hmm. i know some christians who are wealthy but you know what they also are generous yeah uh they bless the lord with their money they bless their brethren with their money um they don't seem to have the the kinds of problems we we often associate with money Mm -hmm. um and i think many times if if we always get in the habit of when we see money come all of a sudden we have a problem and now we have to pay for it um Maybe the Lord is trying to tell us he can't trust us with large amounts of wealth.
1: Yes. And I think that's implied in the question. Because it's like, what something bad is going to happen mm. after receiving a large financial gift, which implies that is a good thing. Yeah. And in the world's eyes, it's the love of money. Yeah. And when we view large financial gifts as this is good. Yeah. Then our view of... Losing that is like okay, this is bad, <laughs> or sure. something else, something else that like was that.
0: Very astute. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: like just the the basic human mindset of how do we measure good and bad mm-hmm. is almost always if you ask the world a material possession of yeah, I'm doing good, therefore I have much finances. I'm poor, therefore I'm doing bad or something wrong. Right, and we see that in. You know, the government handouts and, um, you know, working with, you know, whatever they, you know, not homeless. They're unhomed, un, unhoused. I forget what they're calling <laughs> them a, now. A new politically correct Marginalized communities. You know, they're like some bad stuff is happening because yeah. we don't have money. And there's no, no hope for good things to happen to us. That's why crime is so high and all these other things. Because our, our whole basis and view of good and evil – it mm-hmm. corresponds directly to financial prosperity. I see.
0: Okay. All right. Um, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> I might throw one out here that is not on the list at all. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go uh, out of left field here. Let's do it. Are you are you ready? Yeah. Let's do it. All right. Aliens. <laughs> there, well, hold on, let me preface this mm. for any listeners who might be living under a rock these days. Um, <laughs> I mean, if you've been listening to the news at all, there was recently a hearing. I mean, this is in Congress. There is a hearing. There was a hearing that took place about the existence of... uh, It used to be UFOs, right? Now they're... What do they call them now? UAPs? Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon? Yeah, something like that. And there are actual people that they're calling whistleblowers. They're government workers giving... All sorts of uh, testimony, under oath, I think, about things that they've seen the government hiding in mm. relation to aliens. And I, I have some thoughts on this. I wondered if this is something you've been following.
1: Uh, I follow this pretty pretty closely. Um, not because I'm super interested uh, in the political aspect of the timing of these aliens that always seem to come around at certain times. Mm. <laughs> well, but I, I know really... <laughs> The entire concept of life outside of our Earth. And I just recommended to you uh, a podcast with uh, Stephen Meyer. And, you know, he talks about aliens at the end because um, it was with Joe Rogan. So he's mm-hmm. firm believer in aliens. Uh, and I live in Huntsville, Alabama, which is Rocket City. Um, NASA has a large presence there. Yeah. And NASA's sole existence, the only reason NASA really exists, is to find life. They can claim... That's what, the sole reason? That's the, really the sole reason NASA exists. Okay. I didn't know that. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, they'll, they'll tell you, you know, beat the Russians to the moon or whatever. But really, they're they're looking for life. If you look at most of the uh, advancements we've made in space technology with satellites and stuff, they're trying to prove um, the beginning of our universe mm-hmm. and that there is life out there to be found. So I try to follow it pretty closely uh, because from a Christian, Bible-believing standpoint, it just keeps proving over and over yeah. that there is a God out there. There is yeah. intelligence out there. Um, it's just it's very interesting to me. But you know, from a if we were just to take it from the Bible perspective, you know, if there is other life out there, it is life without a soul. Okay. Um, God sent yeah, Jesus, that's fair. God sent Jesus to die for us on this earth um, we could get into the multiverse um, oh. theory which I did not know this now we're getting super scientific that is the we,
0: we should be careful because we're not scientists right <laughs> uh
1: oh <laughs> we are highly esteemed philosophers by all accounts <laughs> <laughs> If you say it with enough confidence, people will believe you. I guess just just act
0: like it. (laughs) Is this something you're learning with psychologists Just be the philosopher? uh, Be the philosopher. Was it
1: Hitler? Hitler or Stalin, if you tell a lie loud enough and long enough, people will start to believe you.
0: Hmm. It was
1: some terrible person who said that. Wow. Um, So I'm not going to take that under advisement. But um, (laughs) the multiverse theory, um, really, I I just talked to you off air, you know, Evolution or Darwinian evolution, people have scientifically proven it cannot be true. Yeah. There is not enough time. There's like an actual measurement of time it takes for an action to occur that scientists have a name for. I see. There's not enough time in the world or the universe for it to have exist. Like evolution. For for things to turn
0: out as they are right now. Yeah. There's Right, and that's why many turn to the idea of a multiverse. Because it essentially is moving the goalposts.
1: Yeah. Again. That's, that's, that's like, the evolutionist answer to everything. The problem to space.
0: <laughs> right. Well, no, that's the evolutionist answer to everything. Is that, well, that couldn't happen in millions of years. Well, then it must be billions of years. Yeah. And then they just keep moving and moving and moving the goalposts. And now we, now it's like, well, this could never happen in a universe in billions and billions yes. of years. Well, if you had multiple universes...
1: There's An infinite number yeah, of Yeah,
0: you could essentially roll the dice with all those <laughs> infinite number of universes and end up with what we have now. It's, again, it's just moving the goalposts. It's a rescuing device is what it is. But all that to say, in the discussion of aliens, and I think you were on the right track with it, was that... Uh, God has a redemptive plan that we know of from Scripture, and that is revealed truth, that is incontrovertible, uh, that God has provided a means of salvation for mankind. But then you say, well, well, if there was intelligent life that had a soul somewhere else in the universe, it would be affected by the curse as well. Mm. So it would need redemption as well, wouldn't Mm. it? Yeah. And the question is, do we have the kind of God that... Is gracious enough to redeem any soulish being because he is all loving, Mm -hmm. right? If there was some being somewhere on Mars who was affected by the curse, who had a soul, and God gave no opportunity for redemption at all, is that the kind of God that we serve? That's I don't think so either.
1: It goes against his very character. And
0: I know someone could probably rebuttal and say, well, God is not obligated To provide a means of redemption. But yet, how can we at the same time preach he is all loving and not...
1: Yeah, he is obligated because of what he says about himself.
0: Yeah, by his own character. Yeah, Yeah, I could say that. I don't know that we could say we have obligated him because of our (laughs) sinful existence. But has he obligated himself? Yeah, I think there's a good argument to be made for that. But that's why I agree with you is that if there was life somewhere else in the solar system, in the universe, what have you, it's not going to be intelligent life. Mm -hmm. Bacteria, maybe <laughs> bugs of some kind, small critters. Who knows? Yeah, I, I'm just guessing, but I don't think it could be a a, a being made in God's image, uh, a being with a soul uh, at all.
1: Correct, hundred percent with you on that one.
0: Um, I was sitting here as we were talking, looking up my article I wrote on this. Um, this would have been uh, this would have been February of 2018. <laughs> I put an article uh on my blog about this, and that was one of the things that I covered I'll link that in the show notes if anyone's interested um you know, forgive the shameless plug but
1: no, you should i um, mean I'm a firm believer Christians should follow these things uh one because it's fascinating that no matter how hard you try to get away from god uh the more it points towards him, and you know we we could talk about faith, you know being the evidence of of things not seen and by faith we see that the world was created with you know things we can't see but which do appear stuff like that Mm -hmm. but it's like the more we look into those things the more technology advances so we could you know study the uh genetic makeup of things even the makeup of dna itself and it just keeps pointing back towards yeah a creator and intelligent design uh it's truly fascinating and it's exciting, sure. <laughs> it's Absolutely. exciting as a, as a Christian to be like, right? God so, is logical,
0: <laughs> and I don't. So we don't have to hang on to this one long because I don't intend for this podcast to get too political. Um, but if if neither one of us believes in aliens, you know, being responsible <laughs> for the alleged sightings and uh, alleged testimony of these whistleblowers in Congress, why are they? I mean, are they credible? Or is there another reason?
1: My philosophy is, and this is coming from the Rocket City, they are constantly testing new things that are very, very, very secretive. Uh, The amount of non-conversations I have with people in my church. (laughs) Non-conversations? You know, one of the things that people always ask, you don't ask what people do for work. You ask why they're there. You ask for a general topic. Really? What kind of engineer are you?
0: Is that because people have like classified work? Yeah, that they're, they're doing?
1: all classified. And I, you know, I had the opportunity to tour the, the FBI is coming to Huntsville. I had an opportunity to tour.
0: Is that them. a done deal now? They're coming. Yeah,
1: that's coming. Okay, uh, they're they're there. Um,
0: that's probably a good
1: thing. It is. It's awesome. And yeah. um, you know, I had an opportunity to tour the building. There were some things they asked me not to talk about. I. Pretty sure it's okay. Um, um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they didn't show us anything super classified, but okay. you know, they most of these people work in rooms you know, electronics. You go in, you put your phone in a box, they'll have a little charger for you so you don't, you know, you charge your phone while you're in there. Anything that happens in that room is, is classified. And, you know, for the most part. And you got to go in there. I got to see the outside of the room. Oh, okay, I see. Um, and, like, when the door opens, flashing a red light nobody talks while that door is open until it shuts the lights go off whoa and then you like most of these guys are in bunkers um deep underground there's a lot of really secretive stuff okay and the general rule is by the time we see it it's been around for 10 years the technology that you see is 10 years old um, interesting so there's constantly.
0: So if I'm if I'm going where you're tracking, you suspect that some of what these whistleblowers are alleging might be U.S. technology that isn't public yet.
1: Yes. Okay. Interesting. And like I said, the the more I learn about technology, let's say, so the FBI ballistics lab is is down here. Um, none of that's classified. Um, hollow points, you know, all these things that they, you know. Well, we get to carry, right? Yeah. What they're developing for the military, once again, this is not classified, is uh, essentially laser-guided bullets. Um, And this is, you know, we're probably not too far from it. Like, they're currently testing these things. Hmm. Where you could shoot someone from three miles away with a a projectile that'll pop out little wings and essentially be (laughs) laser-guided. And, I mean, the stuff that they're handing out to the military now is... You know, I enjoy shooting, and, you know, Mm -hmm. you take into account windage, all your ballistics and all these things. It's math, and it's hard. That's why it's difficult to be a sniper. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, with the technology Mm -hmm. we have, you know, the scope does all the science for you, does all the math for you. Point and shoot, can you pull a trigger? Yep, you're good.
0: Reaching out and touching somebody is easier than ever. Yeah,
1: so you think about what's available to me as a civilian. Things that are flying around (laughs) (laughs) that's not available to me, like... I don't know. About. I see.
0: So then, then, like, what do you do with the testimony about, like, uh, this guy who's saying there were biologics was the word that he used involved, meaning I think he's implying that there was biological material that they found in some sort of downed aircraft. I'll give you my personal thoughts on it, and then maybe you can tell me if you agree with it or not. I don't trust any of it, honestly. Yes. I think there's a lot of heat on uh, some of our politicians right now. <laughs> Again, I don't want this to get too political, but I just want to say, you know, Christians don't be distracted by the whole alien controversy thing right now. I think it's it's all bogus, personally, yeah. and it's a distraction to take attention off of, you know, those who should be going yeah. to jail
1: right now. And That's a, that's a pretty well-known fact, and yeah. I can tell you confidently, people in my church all the time, don't believe anything you read in the news. Yeah, Everything that's going on in Ukraine— they're like, do not believe uh-huh. anything. They're like, we don't care where it comes from, and uh-huh. they're like, we're not allowed to talk about it. And they're like, all we can say is, do not <laughs> believe anything. Like what's happening in Afghanistan. Oh they're like, man, and it's depressing because a lot of them know things that I don't know, and I have to like trust them. It's like, okay, you know, don't don't eat this up, and they can't tell me why, and it's really annoying because I know they want to say it so. Bad, but they would <laughs> lose their jobs and their security <laughs> clearance and all the other things that earn them an income, right? But when it comes to things like this, like it's clearly a distraction, sure, from things that are far more important. And we have a guy who just moved out from the Pentagon, and he's like, one of the guys put on the front of his office, uh, alien autopsy room because <laughs> you could do whatever you want with your office, and he's like, <laughs> right? He's like trust me if we had found aliens we'd be bragging about it to somebody right like there'd be no whistleblower involved sure
0: well i mean it, you know the, the government being as good at things as it is <laughs> if there were such things as aliens for the last i don't know 80 years um and that it's still a secret it ha- that has to be the yeah. biggest miracle ever anyway <laughs> <laughs> we got time for maybe one more question and that one might lead into the after show um, I can't remember if I sent you this one or not. This one is about um, Seventh-day Adventists. Yes. Okay. Um, Seventh-day Adventists, Adventists are infamous for their return to the Old Testament law and their obedience and not understanding the purpose of the, and, and fulfillment of the law through Christ. Uh, this is from um, Pastor uh, James uh, McGowan here, okay. one of our listeners. Uh, he says, but this led to another question. Uh, And see if you can make the same connection he's making here in the question. Uh, we We teach that the Sabbath doesn't have to be obeyed, even though it precedes the Mosaic Law. Why then do we teach tithing not as part of the Mosaic Law, since it predates the Law? I hope I'm making the parallel clear. It may be my own perception. But we seem to teach against the keeping of the Sabbath, because it's part of the Old Testament Law... Should we preach tithing as obedience or as a general principle or example of giving and for the New Testament saint? Um, question real quick. He says here, we teach that um, the Sabbath doesn't have to be obeyed, though it precedes the Mosaic
1: law. Does it? I think he's making the point of a day of rest, which was instituted at creation. That's how I read that. Okay. Not necessarily the day. I see what
0: you mean. Okay, yeah, because I think we should make a distinction that the the law regarding the Sabbath is purely mosaic. Yes. Um, however, it was based on the principle, or the illustration, I should say, that uh, on the seventh day, God ceased from his creative work.
1: Mm-hmm. And I have a follow-up question for you regarding the Sabbath.
0: Um, which, which, before we get to that, by the way, James did email me back on this. Uh, he wanted to be clear. He's not trying to suggest we should not tithe. Um, he's just wondering, are we being consistent? Mm-hmm. And I have the same question, really. Um, yeah. So what are your thoughts?
1: I, I, I firmly believe you should not tithe. I you believe, should not? Nope. I think tithing is, as he says, uh, Old Testament law. Um, to give a literal ten percent. Um, okay. The New Testament example is give abundantly. Okay. I think if you like so, for for openness, I use the tithe uh, idea as a basic principle. But if you look at the Old Testament and even the Pharisees, what did they give? You know, ten percent of all of that, everything that came in, yeah. down to the herbs. So that's like you...
0: There was additional tithes required. As yeah, well. do, you, do you
1: have a garden? I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know. Let's say you had a garden. Are you going to take t- 10% of your tomatoes to your pastor as a part of your tithe? <laughs> you, you know, like... Do, I it, don't know, I, I might. <laughs> if we were to really obey the Mosaic Law and tithing, that's what we would have done. We would have taken our crops. Yeah. And the Pharisees did that. And God said, hey, they're not – they weren't wrong in doing that. Yeah. The problem was their enforcement of how they enforced it and those things. Um, So it is an Old Testament law, but if you look at Paul and the concept of giving in 1 Corinthians 9, I believe Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, he doesn't – you know, he talks about giving way more than just 10%. So." You know, God loves a cheerful giver. Give what you can.
0: So, I mean, the context there is, it is in the context in First Corinthians 9 of how, how ministry is supported. Mm-hmm. Correct? Um, so if I can play devil's advocate here for a moment. Because, I mean, honestly, I'm not far off from where you are on this, I think. Uh, though <laughs> the way you said it was like, whoa, maybe a little more <laughs> sensational than I would say it.
1: I'm that guy. Um, the tent meeting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, it's verses 8 through 14, Paul explains how New Testament ministry is supported. Mm -hmm. Uh, The example that he uses of this is the example of how Old Testament priests and the temple were supported Mm -hmm. with the tithe. And he says in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 9, even so, which are those are two very important words. Even so, hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. So, while it may not say, thou shalt tithe in the Mm -hmm. New Testament church, he gives this Old Testament example of tithing and then says the words, even so, and then immediately goes into uh, New Testament giving. Yeah. So, how do we... And I think this is kind of where maybe James is at with his question where he asks, should we preach tithing as obedience or as a general principle or example example of giving for the New Testament saint? I think he has, in a way, answered the question already Mm. that tithing, while we really can't find a command for it in the New Testament, um, it is a principle Paul uses here in 1 Corinthians 9 to illustrate how a church should be supported Mm and then add to that what you said about the idea of abundant giving, which could even go above the tithe, I think now we're talking good principles.
1: Yes. And I I really, like, we talk about the law, you know, and let's say the law regarding adultery. And what did Jesus say about that? If a man even looks at another woman Mm -hmm. and lusts after he's committed adultery. So he's taking the law and he inter- takes it internalized it yeah internalizes it and what in our heads he takes it even further
0: right which which is more strict yeah the original law or what Jesus said <laughs> well obviously
1: it's what Jesus yeah, said like, because oh I think, you're not a murderer but you hate your brother uh, right uh oh
0: <laughs> that's a good correlation because you know if we try to make a law out of tithing then in it, it does in a sense create a mechanism by which we can feel like we're obeying when maybe our heart isn't really there yes And I think that's why the general principle of tithing, uh, Paul uses that. And then additionally, it's the idea of abundant giving uh, out of even deep poverty, as we said of them, which is a grace. He talks about it being a grace, which Mm -hmm. to me means that God enabled these people to give in a way that was not normal or even sane by some people's standards. That's a grace given by God. So I think we're dealing with principles here, not commands. Can we say definitively tithing is a command in the New Testament? That's hard to. Yeah. But should a Christian be tithing?
1: See, I, I don't. That's teach. maybe the wrong question. Yeah, I, I don't teach tithing. Like I never say you should tithe. Yeah. But I do say you should give and you should give. I would never. and cheerfully.
0: But see, I don't. I. Okay. So I wouldn't use the phrase. A Christian shouldn't tithe. So, like the phrase we began with, <laughs> when you said that, I was like, "Where is he going with this?" I would maybe not say that because um, I think I think it's a good thing. Yeah, but I think the heart needs to be involved. God does yeah. love a cheerful giver, and and He does love giving people the grace to give beyond yeah. their means if they're willing to be that kind of giver. Yes. Um, that that I think puts the heart
1: back into giving. Yeah, where it should. I be. should also clarify, you know, James. He has his own local church. Yeah. James has his own local church. I have my own local church. Um, They have, my people understand me. Yeah. So if I get up in front of them and I say, I don't want you guys to tithe, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. They're like, that's fair. He's about to come up with something else. (laughs) That's
0: fair. Well, that's, that's what I think there needs to be wisdom in each shepherd to know what kind of flock they're dealing with and how they would say things there. Uh, I think that's, that's fair. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> there's probably more we could say on that. We've got to move into the after show now. That just that 46 minutes just flew by. Yes, it did. We jumped over a lot of different things there. Uh, listener, if you appreciated this content and you're not a patron of the podcast, this is kind of where it stops for you at the moment until the next public episode comes out. Uh, Ethan and I are going to go talk on the after show now. That is bonus content for elite patrons. If you'd like to become one of those, that is patreon.com slash reason together. If you'd like to just continue listening for free, I'm thankful for that, too. We appreciate all of you uh, who do listen and uh, those who send in questions as well. Thank you to all of you who sent in questions for this episode. We appreciate that. Uh, anyway, Ethan and I are going to go now over the after show. We are encouraging balance, developing perspective, and connecting faith to practice. This is Reason Together.